Everyone faces questions and decisions that require insight and answers as we move forward personally, professionally, and corporately in all areas of this thing we call life in America today. Hello, this is Joe Schofield, and I invite you to tune in every Monday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. as we talk together and hear from key leaders of all ages and backgrounds about your questions. Interesting, informative, intuitive, but always encouraging. Tune us in on BBS Radio Network. Join Pastor Joe and co-hosts Ron Greer, Dr. Paul Hall, Stephanie Thayer and Dr. Craig Thayer in Raising Expectations. Hey, good evening, friends, and welcome back to this Monday's version of Raising Expectations. We're so glad you're here with us. We've got a very special guest this evening, and with so much going on in the world and in the nation and maybe in your homes, we want to lift up your expectations. We want to strengthen and encourage you, and that's why we're here. So thanks for tuning in. I want to share quickly with you our co-host team. I'm Pastor Joe Schofield. These people are my friends. They bless my life each and every day. We want to start off with our team because each week some of you ask about them. On the West Coast in Lompoc, California, we have Dr. Paul Hall coming to us. He's a retired pastor, a theologian. He's been theologuing all week, and he'll be theologuing with us in just a few minutes, live and direct from Southern California. When he can figure out California, we're going to make a lot of money when he gets that plan out there. But anyway, moving all the way over to Dalton, Georgia, we have with us as part of our team, Stephanie and Dr. Craig Thayer. Stephanie is a health and wellness coach and trainer and a leader of people. She just uh, helps people to put together what they need to do to get physically, mentally, emotionally in shape because of her relationship and understanding of nutrition and her walk with the Lord. And walking right beside her is her wonderful husband, Dr. Uh, we call him Tank. It's Craig Thayer. We call him Tank. But he's a, a surgeon, a trauma surgeon, a nutritional specialist. Uh, they have two great sons who are athletes, and we love following around what they're doing. And they work up and team together, and they bless lives every week, just as Paul does in the things he says and shares. Moving from the West Coast to the East Coast, and then all the way back to Central America, the great state of Texas, we have with us our, our favorite pastors in the whole world, Pastor Ron Greer, former Marine, a pastor. He uh, is a builder of men. He and his wife have been together for many moons, as the old Indian said, and he is a, a builder of men with men on the mirror, man in the mirror, uh, helping them to grow to be all they need to be with principles so that we can have more great men to their wives, to their families, to their children, and to our nation. Ron, we love and appreciate you, brother. Glad you're there. And yeah, that's right. It's good to have you. Our favorite guy in Texas really works well. Now, coming tonight, we have a very special guest. I'm going to go right into this so we don't waste any time. All the way from the Washington, D.C. area, we have with us Dr. James Robbins. Many of you have gotten back to me this week. We put him on social media in a kind of a limited way that we do, but you do respond. We appreciate that. Uh, Jim is an author, an educator, a teacher. I'm going to give you a quick background. Many of you have read he is a, an American commentary writer. He was with the USA Today, a senior fellow for national security affairs on the American Foreign Policy Council. He's a former senior editorial writer for foreign affairs at the Washington Times, an author, political commentator, and professor with a focus on national security and foreign and military affairs. Well, there's a lot going on that he's had history with right now in this world. And so we're kind of looking forward to having him with us on this. And he's written some great books, The Tet Offensive, The Real Custer, uh, Native Americans, and our favorite, at least mine, The Erasing of America, which uh, has really spoken to my heart so many times when I think, because we love America, we're patriots, we realize as people of faith, nobody's perfect, but the United States of America is the greatest uh, 
democracy or test of what it means to be a nation in the history of the world, we believe. So, uh, Paul, hey, I was going to ask you, Paul, Jim, we were talking today, Paul and I, and he had a thought, that question you thought, you left us with a thought at the end of the last program to encourage us and strengthen us and to give us an idea to think about. And so, hey, Paul, remember we were talking about that? What what was that thought that you wanted to maybe run by him? Uh, well, Jim, thank I I appreciate you being with us so much. Yeah, always a joy. Always like the insight that you have. Um, at the the last time we had you with us, and I was taking some copious notes uh, along the way, but uh, one of the things that came to to really stuck in my head is that you you encouraged us to stay positive. You know, you said stay positive. And uh, and my question is, you know, what are you encouraged about today? Because, boy, this is a pretty confusing time. And, uh, and, you know, everybody has an opinion and some are informed and some are not, obviously. But what are you encouraged about? What do you see out there that we can hang some hats on and and stay plugged in? Can you share that with us? Um. Well, first. Let me say just thanks for having me back. I always love being on the show and talking to you folks. Uh, it's, it's always great. And with respect to being positive, well, there's a lot to not be positive about, clearly. Uh, the world is in a tough spot right now. Uh, our country is in a tough spot with uh, economically and in other ways. But when I look at it, I think, you know, this is the darkness before the dawn. This is when people are waking up because you see the bad things going on in our country and the world. And no greater contrast could be made between now and a few years ago. I mean, remember what Ronald Reagan said, are you better off now than you were four years ago? He ran on that in 1980, when the answer was no. He ran on that in 1984, when the answer was yes for many people. And I, I think that in the coming elections, people are going to look around and say, you know what? Things did not get better. Like we were promised, like they were supposed to. I mean, at least those who thought so. And you see that in the opinion polling. People are saying, what the heck is going on? And I think we're going to see a big reaction to that. We saw that recently uh, here in Virginia uh, with the new governor where, you know, no one gave him a chance of winning. Not many people anyway. They said, you know, it was just because he had Terry McAuliffe, you know, a former governor, Democratic insider, a guy knew all the angles and all this. And lo and behold, what happened? You know, Glenn Youngkin won. And now he's bringing a lot of good change to Virginia. So I think we're going to see that repeated pretty soon. And then things will start to get better. Amen. Sounds good. Anybody like to ask a question first or then I have a thought after that? Do you might like to share anybody? Ron, you're on mute. Uh, hi, Jim. <laughs> Glad to actually see you in the flesh. I have uh, seen your name and some things you've written, but I uh, never got to actually saw what you look like. But anyway, <laughs> nice to finally see you. <laughs> I, I can say I spent a lot of time in D.C. for a number of years and you know, one of the people I never met. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I wanted to, wanted you to uh, touch on um, what exactly is uh, the um, AFPC? What, what exactly is that? Oh, well, Mark, American Foreign Policy Council is, uh, I guess you would call it a think tank, but it's mm-hmm. uh, an organization of people who are uh, scholars and uh, thinkers and writers who follow national security affairs and what's going on in the world. I'm trying to remember when it was founded. It was uh, maybe 20 years ago or probably more, maybe in the 1990s. I forget exactly when it was founded, but uh, a lot of good people who believe in peace through strength and uh, that America is a great country and has an important role in the world. And uh, I think a lot of clear thinking folks there that you and the people in the audience would probably look at their website and their publications and say, you know, yeah, these are the kind of people we would like to see more of uh, talking about the issues and uh, hopefully someday in government. And uh, hopefully uh, 
somewhere down the line, more people in Congress will listen to them. But that's another <laughs> question. That's another subject. So, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> people do. Good resistance. AFPC has some influence. And the, the website's <laughs> AFPC.org, by the way, if you want to check it out. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry about that. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, I just I just watch the news. We all watch the news. We realize it's all filtered this or the other. And right. I always like to look back at history. What I love, one of the things about you, Jim, is being a history specialist. Paul and I, and I bet Ron too, I'm not sure, but um, we love history. We love the history of our nation. Uh, we love the Civil War, particularly in all the work you've done there at Gettysburg and other places. And, and looking at that today, um, uh, I just wonder, do you think as we're coming to these places with the elections coming up and people are now seeing not just the questions, as you said, in the racing of America, the American Taliban is working on things. But as we see what happened in Afghanistan, we see what is now happening in Ukraine from all sides. Um, I get differing opinions now and then. and, And as soon as I look at the negative ones, they don't have any substance historically whatsoever. Could you maybe say a few words about maybe the importance of understanding where the historical pieces fit in with this, you know, just on a a regular level, because it it seems like we always go back when documents are released 20 years later and they're no longer sealed up. We find there are a million things happening we don't know anything about. And maybe give us some insight in those areas. Uh, And you named a lot of areas. (laughs) No, that's okay. I just, I love you reading what you read, right? Um, well, I do want to talk about Ukraine. Was that the, yeah, maybe Ukraine and yeah. And, and, and the historical setting of that and where some of these pieces fits for, for people to have a better grasp. Well, I mean, with Ukraine, you're talking about a part of the world that used to be part of the Russian empire back in the day. Um, then they were briefly independent during world war two and then reconquered by the red army and then part of the Soviet Union. Um, Then when in 1991, they became an independent country, they're an independent people. I mean, they have their own language. It's related to Russian, but they have their own language. They have their own, you know, culture and background. uh, And they want to be free. That's the main thing about the Ukrainians that I think is worth noting. They want to be free. I know a lot of people criticize them because, for various reasons, as Zelensky did something or they had problems in their government or whatnot. But to me, the issue really comes down to you have a country, you have these people, they want to be free, they're mm-hmm. under attack. They've been under attack for a long time, actually, because in 2014, Russia annexed part of their country in Crimea right. and then occupied the eastern part of their country in Donetsk and Luhansk. And now Russia is trying to take the whole country. And they're fighting back and they're doing a magnificent job. I'll tell you, I don't think that this is the war that Vladimir Putin thought he was going to get. Because when you look at the run up to this thing, look back in the early part of the uh, year, everybody was predicting that Ukraine was just going to fold. Our intelligence community was saying that. Everybody was saying that Ukrainians, you know, it's just going to be a short campaign. Russia will invade. They'll take over. Well, guess what? Ukrainians fought back. They didn't fold. I think that President Zelensky has turned out to be the man of the moment, you know, a, a sort of Churchillian figure who rose up to lead his country when no one really believed in him. His opinion polls approval rating back in December was like 30% because of the various internal political problems in Ukraine. You know, he, he was very underrated, but then, you know, came the invasion and he didn't run away. You know, the Biden administration had told him, you got to get out of there. You know, we're going to airlift you out of there. And, you know, that would have ended it. If he had fled, it would have been like Afghanistan, you know, where their president split, hopped on a helicopter and he was gone. The Taliban came marching in. Okay, he could have been like that guy. But no, he said, you know, in that memorable expression, I need ammunition. I don't need a lift. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And, you know, that that show of resolve, that leadership 
really crystallized everything to the Ukrainians. And I think that's when they said, you know what, we're going to beat these guys. We're just going to fight them to the death. And that's what's going on. And I think, you know, the Russians were incredibly surprised by the level and the intensity and the effectiveness of the Ukrainian resistance. It's just a sight to see. Wow. Yeah, that, that said, and you being smarter than I am more informed, what, what do you see Putin's exit? I mean, how can he save face, yeah. get out of this without his pride, and somehow not end it with uh, yeah. devastating nuclear war or whatever? So, Right. Yeah, I know people talk a lot about this, you know, exit ramp strategy or something like that for Putin Indeed. to get out. Yeah. You know, he could leave tomorrow when you get right down to it. He could just depart. And when they do depart, and I think they will, um, he'll just lie about it. That's how he's going to save face. I mean, there's really no saving face from this, what, what's looking like a big defeat. But he'll just lie about it. He'll say, well, we have accomplished our objectives. We, you know, demilitarized, denazified, or whatever they're saying. And um, but the real thing that the Ukrainians have to do, I think, to get to that point, they'll have to compromise in some way, probably signing off a few more little pieces of their country, mm-hmm. you know, because the eastern part of their country was already occupied by foreign troops. So yeah. that's no big loss. They just say, you know, cut your losses and then maybe they'll pledge not to join NATO, which the Russians are very concerned about. It's in their constitution, by the way. Ukrainian constitution says they're going to join NATO. So I guess they'll have to change that part. But if they do that, I think the Russians then will have enough, you know, face-saving stuff to be able to say, see, we won. That's what we intended all along. After losing 14,000 guys. Exactly. Oh, my. Well, you know, one one of the things that concerns, well, concerns me, well, that one issue about him saving face, uh, it's first of all, I mean, like, as you said, I agree. He doesn't have to save faith. He controls the, the country, he controls the public, controls the press there. So, you know, saving face for him is easy. And if it was a concern, I think the, 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 the disaster in Chechnya and a few other things would have brought him down before. But I mean, when you stage a bombing of your apartment building and blaming it on, on a lie in order to start a war, and everybody knows it, and you go on, go on like nothing happened, he doesn't care about saving face. Uh, but but I, I do want to know your opinion on, on, on what, what sparked this. Uh, you could, well, here, here's, uh, let me see where I'm coming from first. I don't believe anything I, I hear in the media or the press. I, I read in the press. I... <laughs> My first reaction is to disregard as a lie and then kind of dig through things. Uh, but one of the things that, that I remember, I'm old enough to remember, brother, is when um, Russia, in essence, installed the, the last president. Uh, and the, all the events led up to that point where, where he was going to win over, over Ukraine or get Ukraine won over as a part of you know, establishing the whole empire. Uh, but something went wrong. So I, I I don't know if it's just, just my imagination or do I have events mixed up or what what do you think? I, I just think it, it, this didn't just start last year. It, this has been, what, 13, 14 years yeah. in the making. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, they had in uh, 2009, I think it was, they had a, you know, constitutional change then right. in 2014. They had another, uh, what they call it, you know, revolution mm-hmm. uh, in which the, a pro-Russian government was replaced. And that was when the uh, Russians started doing things like taking over Crimea, invading in the east and that. Mm-hmm. So I think that from that point on, Russia was interested in pressing their claims against Ukraine. And remember, as Vladimir Putin noted, he wrote this big article last summer, in which he basically said, Ukraine is a made up country that has no right to exist. That, you know, the Ukrainians are not a separate people, they don't have their own nationality, that, you know, it's just a made up thing. And 
you know, when your enemy says you have no right to exist, I mean, you should believe him. Mm-hmm. It's like when the Iranians say death to America. Well, that's not for their health. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you're not joking. <laughs> really? They really, you know, death to Israel, death to America. They do it every Friday and they mean it. So, okay, let's believe them. And the same with Russia and Ukraine. So Putin had already last summer telegraphed his intentions. I really think that what happened was, I mean, in 2014, they did phase one. And then now they waited to phase two. So why did they wait? I think it was because they didn't want to do this with Donald Trump in office. Because they were terrified at what his response would be, because I think it would have been a very different one. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, that, the other question would be, uh, I also remember back in the 80s and 90s, and even further later 90s, uh, where Putin becomes this figure out, right out of the KGB, who seemed to be, excuse my French, but hell-bent on reestablishing, reconstituting the USSR. Union. Yeah, uh, am, am I mistaken on that or mis- mismembering that? And is this no, part you're of absolutely right. Time? 100% right. He said that the... The collapse of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century. Yeah. And he's he's all about reconstituting the USSR, reconstituting the Russian Empire, if you will. And remember, the Russian Empire stretched all the way to Poland. So, <laughs> yes. you know, we don't know where he'll stop, but it's kind of like Hitler with Austria and Czechoslovakia. You know, he starts nipping off those and then pretty soon he wants to take over the world. So, um, you know, if if Putin says he wants to rebuild the USSR, well, we should believe him. And I don't think that the people in Moldova or the Baltic states or other surrounding areas uh, I, don't, I don't think they're very secure right now because they know that they're next on the list. Yeah. That's right. So one, yeah. one other question, then I'll move on. Um, uh, he made a trip to China, uh, beginning of the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. and met with uh, President Xi. Uh, what, what's your take on that? That was really interesting, because after the Olympics, they made this public statement about their unlimited partnership that they had, mm-hmm. you know, the no limits partnership. And I think the Chinese were, you know, fine with that. Maybe they thought it was just rhetoric. But then he immediately invades his neighbor, you know, days later. And I think that really took the Chinese by surprise. I don't know if he read them into what his plans were or not. But I think he thought they gave him a green light, like, go ahead and do it. And the Chinese then suddenly backed off. Uh They were not supporting him. And like in the United Nations, they had a vote to condemn the uh, invasion. And only five countries voted in favor of the invasion. Russia, Belarus, Syria, North Korea, and Eritrea. Okay, so, hey, if they're on your team, you know, you're solid. But um, China, not on the list. China didn't vote. You know, they abstained. They said, hey, we're not taken a piece of this action and China is now sending humanitarian assistance to Ukraine. <laughs> so I think Russia is a little disappointed in their buddy, China. And also they're asking China now for military assistance and for food. They need food. They can't even feed their army. Think about that. I mean, you never heard that from our country. I mean, no. you know, whatever war we were in, at least we're feeding our people, but they can't even feed their army. That's right next door to their country. They have to ask China for MREs. That's mm-hmm. pathetic. So we'll see if China comes through. Wow. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I read something about a study the U.S. did about Chinese culture in the 1940s. And the bottom line of that report, which didn't really get published, because I think it was a cultural, it wouldn't have looked good. But there are people of deception is what I read. So they they'll seem like your best friend and they're not, and they'll, they'll wait as long as they can before they have to play their hand. That's Donald have Trump. you felt that to be true? <laughs> so Donald Trump's think, Chinese? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds about right. China, historically, even before they were communists, uh, they tend not to take a side very strongly. Like, they will a little bit, but then 
when push comes to shove, they're not always there for you if you're their ally. And a funny thing, during the Korean War, they kind of they kind of veered off of that. Like Mao really admired Stalin. He thought Stalin was was like the greatest guy. And Stalin was the one who said, hey, wouldn't it be great if you went in and fought you know, the United Nations in Korea and kind of like push China forward. And then the Soviet Union was the one backing off. Mm. Say, oh, well, you know, it's too bad, isn't it? And, you know, we're not going to commit our troops, but China, you go ahead and get your guys killed. And it really disenchanted Mao with the Soviets. Mm. Um, but in a way, maybe this is payback, you know? like Yeah, interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Stephanie, you had a thought? Go ahead. Thoughts on how the U.S. has or has not responded, and, and maybe even how you would compare it hypothetically to what you think would have happened with Trump as president. Hmm. Um, well, I think that the U.S. response—it's been okay. It's not great. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are sending some arms, but we're not sending enough arms or the right kind of arms or the things that they really need, like aircraft. And like blocking Poland from sending MiGs that the Ukrainians know how to fly. Why do that? Why get in the way of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the president said that would start World War III. Well, would it? I don't <laughs> think it would. I mean, Russia has a lot of bluster, but... I don't think Vladimir Putin wants World War III either. The president says, well, Russia's a nuclear power. You know who else is a nuclear power? The United States. And we've got more and better weapons. I mean, if the Russians don't know by now, with their underperforming army and their air force that can't get control of the air, you know, which is something that, I mean, in our doctrine, that's, that's day one. You know, total air dominance at day one. Well, they have to be wondering if their strategic nuclear forces are everything that they should be, too. So um, I think that what I what I like, here's some things I like that that we've done. President Biden, that I'll give him credit for. Number one, in the lead up to it, where the Russians are going to do that false flag operation of videoing and a Ukrainian attack on them, you know, making this fake mm-hmm. attack that they would use to justify their invasion. And our intelligence community detected it and exposed it yes. and, and totally took that out of their hands. Right. So they couldn't yeah. do that fake thing. That was really good. I think rallying the world to sanctions and other you know, symbolic actions, that was great. I, again, I think it totally took Russia by surprise. They didn't think because when they took Crimea in 2014, hardly anything happened. You know, Mm -hmm. Barack Obama wasn't out there doing this. So, okay, I give Biden credit for that. And then the military aid that has gone in, which has primarily been things like anti-tank weapons and some anti-air weapons, you know, the portable ones. That's good. I mean, it's it's better than not doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So and, and intelligence sharing. That's another thing that we're doing. We're giving Ukrainians a flood of intelligence, which I'm sure is helping them a lot with their targeting and, and taking out some of these Russian columns. That's all good, but we could do more. Let me point this out, not to keep going. No, that's good. <laughs> I, I, I just had a piece in USA Today on this topic. It was yesterday it came out. And um, what I was pointing out was the fear of escalation, like if we give too much aid to Ukraine, it'll lead to an escalating war. Well, in the Vietnam War, the Soviet Union gave every advanced weapon the North Vietnamese asked for. They just gave it to them. They even sent they sent them the sophisticated anti-air weapons that were used to shoot down our guys. Yes. And they even had Russian crews, Soviet crews yes. manning those weapons to shoot down our aircraft. I mean, it's yes. like we were at war with them. Right. Got about that. So, you know, they did it in the Vietnam War, and they, you know, we were both nuclear powers then. It didn't seem to matter. So, why can't we do it now? Interesting. Okay, I have another question, and part of this is because I have teenage boys. I'm the only female in this house. So I'm, you know, horrified by the war and they're all ready to go to war. Um, So one of the things that I think is very different and interesting is this availability of information, whether it's accurate or not, propaganda, all these different things. 
But also my kids love the group anonymous and it's fascinating to watch hackers or people that maybe aren't always perceived in the best light kind of rallying together for the good and taking down governments. And I mean, it's fascinating to watch. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Well, number one, Russia, again, Russia was supposed to be this like super hacker nation that was going to take down all of Ukraine's communications and electricity and power grid and everything on day one, right? With a huge cyber attack. Well, that didn't happen. And now we're getting, we're getting information out of this war in real time, you know, videos and photos and everything of, of, you know, Russian attacks on helpless civilians and, you know, killing women and children. And also the Ukrainian army fighting back, seeing like every day there's a new video out of a drone strike or some guys firing a javelin at tanks and blowing them up. There's a Twitter feed that I recommend. It's called Ukraine Weapons Tracker. Mm. And all they do is post pictures of burned out Russian tanks and Mm. stuff blowing up. I mean, your boys would probably love it. I'll show (laughs) it to them. They they send me TikToks all day long about it. And I'm like, okay, if it's too gory, don't send it to your mom. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. um, Ukraine Weapons Tracker doesn't show the gory parts. But they do show a lot of stuff blowing up. Uh, from a distance. So, and it's just fascinating to watch from a sort of tactical point of view, seeing how the Ukrainian fighters have adapted to this environment where they're, I mean, they're kind of outnumbered, but it doesn't matter because they just go like insurgent style. They're out there tracking the Russians down. They, you know, get in their rear areas. They're taking out their supply trucks, taking out command vehicles sniping generals have you seen how many russian generals are getting killed in this war it's i mean you know american generals tend not to get killed in war it does happen occasionally i think russians have lost five like top commanders in this thing because ukrainian snipers are just out there highly skilled guys who spot these characters and just take them out and it's you know the russians really have to be wondering what went wrong because this is again it's not the war they expected Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, the Ukrainian Ukrainians are uh, uh, taking out a whole lot of helicopters at an airport, uh, and I mean, being former military, uh, how do you how do you have military and ready equipped helicopters not guarded and not secured area? That that was fascinating. They, they actually got through there and bombed and destroyed. At least from my reading, or the pictures I saw, at least four or five major uh, transport helicopters. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of stuff just kind of blows my mind. How does how's that happen? And if the Russian army was that, is that um, advanced and that powerful, why can't they feed people? And why can't they protect their, their, their vehicles? Mm-hmm. And why can't they protect their, their generals and their troops? So I, I think that uh, a lot of boistering is the uh, bragging has been going on for years and i think part of this shows us that uh russia russians aren't who they have been betrayed to be uh, these, these last few years there's some there's some problems there hmm. uh, i couldn't agree more i mean low morale just sort of bad tactics they don't really know what they're doing they're yeah. staying out of the cities you know like i say they haven't taken the cities because they're staying out of the cities because they know the minute they go in there it's going to be a meat grinder like in chechnya yeah mm-hmm. so instead they're doing what they did in chechnya which is stand off and just fire mm-hmm. rockets and artillery and blowing up buildings indiscriminately mm-hmm. killing civilians i mean these are war crimes right. and now they're talking about using chemical weapons like like the Syrians did in Aleppo. And by the way, they're going to bring in Syrians. The yeah. Russians are recruiting a Syrian mercenary force to come and fight for them in Ukraine. I mean, imagine the atrocities that are going to happen if that takes place. Right. Yeah, right. Whoa. That's amazing. Now, Scary. I heard something about the ICC, you know, the, the investigation that occurs for war crimes and and then I, I overheard someone say who's doing the investigation that we could have a trial and and 
convict people, but when they're still in power, we can't do anything to them. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Um, also, Russia is not a signatory to that treaty, so that's kind of an issue, but they can still collect the evidence. They can still go through the process. And if for some reason there's like an uprising or some other thing that happens in Russia that makes Vladimir Putin and his top commanders and cronies and, you know, fellow war criminals available, well, then, you know, give him the Nuremberg treatment. Do you think there's any chance that all in line with what Tank was saying there that um, that there would be enough political, negative, derogatory people, civilization, all the, all their people dying, food, all the different things they don't have, uh, the Russians, now speaking of the Russians, that there would be any chance there would be any kind of a coup against an old Bolshevik, and like Ron said, KGB leader with so many deaths on notches on his personal belt. Would that could that possibly you think happen in Moscow? I tend to think that Putin has already figured out who the threat people might be and has yeah. killed them. This guy, like Ron, made mention of that apartment bombing that took place where the uh, the Russian security services on, on Putin's order killed a bunch of people in apartment bombings that they then blamed on the Chechens to justify yeah. going down to, you know, wage that brutal war against the Chechens. Well, mm-hmm. everybody who started investigating those bombings, whether they were journalists or members of the Duma, because the government had set up an investigation committee, they yeah. all started dropping dead under very mysterious circumstances. Yeah. 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 So it's not like Putin, you know, is playing with kid gloves here. He's going to maintain his power the best he can. And we've even seen some scapegoating going on now. He has put uh, senior members of his intelligence service under arrest for like giving him bad intelligence on the invasion or, you know, he's scapegoating. And I think some military guys are going to start to get hauled up too. So maybe just to preserve their own skin, like they'll think, wow, we got to take him out or he's going to take us out. That's the only scenario I can see that might work. But I would guess that Putin's internal security, like personal security, is probably like Stalin level. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's one of one of my thoughts. That uh, uh, I think people forget Putin was uh, a very skilled and very uh, deep KGB uh, agent for a number of decades. Uh, so he's not stupid when it comes to uh, those kind of things happening. Uh, now, I'm not sure if it's true or not. I have many verified the source, uh, but someone's uh, one of someone told me that he's fired possibly up to a thousand uh, people within the organization uh, because of that for that very reason, afraid and not uncertain of their loyalty and the chances of them sort of starting a coup or taking him out altogether. Uh, so any idea if that's true or not? Anything you heard on that? I believe it. I, I've seen a number of reports about him firing people. There were uh, one guy, it was called the Fifth Directorate, one of the intelligence guys who was recently fired or arrested. He he had come up under Putin. He was like, he had been one of Putin's bodyguards hmm. back in the day and then was promoted on to this other gig. So, you know, a guy like that, if you're mad at him, you don't want him hanging around because he already right. knows the inside stuff. Right. Uh, so I think really the closer you are to Putin, really the more likely it is that he's going to just feel paranoid and get rid of you because he, if you're that close, you're that much of a threat. Right. Don't take a chance, huh? Don't take a chance. Now I'm going to, I'm going to jump in real quick. Uh, while you think of a, a, another good question, boy, Jim, really appreciate you so much for your insight and sharing with us. I'm just going to put this up, let people know, Raising Expectations, as you know, is your show. It's your program. We're your team. We love to be with you each week, and we love to share great men like uh, we have with us tonight that can can share with you great teachers. Um, we are your, We live on your donations, your gifts that you give to us. Many of you give so graciously. We're so thankful for all of you. I'm just going to put this up so you can see it. This is all you got to know right there. That is the address, BBS 
radio.com forward slash raising expectations. There's a donation gift tab there. If you'll just tab that, uh, put your little button on there. And, and that is with PayPal. And that is a very safe way to make a donation, a gift. Everybody says, Joe, it works really good. Love to offer that to you. There's some other things we'll do. We'll tell you about those next week because we want to keep going right now. This is exciting on what's going on. But one last look. There you go. Everybody see it? <laughs> there it is. All right. Jim, we've got high tech since we had you on here. We've we learned this from Fox News, and we're right up there. We put it right up so everybody can see it, so they can find exactly what they're doing. Okay, moving right along now, and thank you in advance for your gifts uh, as we meet the needs of BBS Radio. We're thankful to be on BBS Radio TV Worldwide because they are simply the best. And now, Ron, you're glad, glad to hear this from the great state of Texas. They're in Texas now. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Who has a question? Paul, anyone have a question you want to run by, Jim? There's a there were, uh, on the news. I've seen this. Uh, teen, I think she's either a late teenager, early twenties um, girl who uh, she said she got to protest uh, the sum total of about ten seconds before she was arrested, and uh, she was kept for four hours. Her phone was taken from her, uh, never returned, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She's supposed to go on trial this week uh, for for protesting. The question to her was, uh, the commentator was saying, have you noticed a difference in the in the in the population of attitudes towards this war, you know, in the propaganda that you're, you know, the, the hearing? And she says, interestingly enough, the older people, because the news is so regulated in in Russia, uh, the older people from an older generation uh, tend to get behind uh, what the government is pushing out to them but she said the young people um, you know people her age uh, are are almost rising a resistance because uh, they're not buying into the into it you know that kind of thing now i want to dovetail that just a little bit because jim uh i, I read a review of your book today erasing america's uh, the review was written by a guy named mark stansel and uh, one of the things he he brought out was um, how you referred to in your book an amazing ignorance of actual U.S. history, uh, kind of thing yes. like that. So apparently, apparently there's um, there's a crossover somehow in in a generational effect. Okay, uh, are you picking up anything, uh, you know, in the people that you talk to and thing about this kind of groundswell resistance that's happening in the in the in russia right now you know or you know age-wise or anything like that i'm curious well i i saw a report and i was trying to find it again i can't find it so but i think i think it was uh one of the pew international surveys Mm -hmm. but what they found was that the support levels for putin in general are a lot lower than where they should be Mm-hmm. Granted that, you know, it's still like 60, 70 percent, something like that. But they should be like 90 percent because of his control of everything. Right. If a pollster comes up and says, do you approve of how the president's doing? You know, <laughs> yes. In Russia, you know, you better say yes. Right. You think <laughs> enough people are brave enough to say, you know what? I don't think so. Wow. You know, if you get and, and to the people writing about this, they're saying it was like historically low, even though it was, you know, for our country, it would be very high mm-hmm. because, you know, it's like in North Korea, you're not going to you know, give the wrong answer. <laughs> so um, there's that. And, and there is the fact that there have been demonstrations in all of the major cities in Russia mm-hmm. and demonstrations continue, although they're cracking down on them quite severely. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that they made it illegal, the Duma passed a law, this is how serious they are, mm-hmm. making it illegal to describe this, what's going on in Ukraine as a war. Mm-hmm. You oh, have yeah. to call it a special limited military operation and you can't call it a war. You'll mm-hmm. go to jail for 15 years if you call it a war. So that tells me they're very scared of their population because right. right. they're putting in all these kind of restrictions. You only do that if you're terrified of these people. Amen. That's right. so, uh, uh, I think, um, 
You know, Putin used an interesting term in one of his speeches, which is segue to Mr. Stansel's comment about your book, which is a cancel culture, right? So erasing, cancel, maybe a new nomenclature. But yeah, I thought that was interesting that he was drawing on a cancel culture for his culture. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Sounds like our our young our radical movement back in the sixties and seventies. <laughs> you take common terms and languages and you just change the meaning for it, of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the vast majority of people, you, I mean, you recreate the the meaning for it. Uh, so it sounds like to me back in our young Black Panther days, you know, <laughs> you take, you take the white man's language and you twist it and put a new meaning to it, and and then they'll they'll parrot it all day for you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Side light went off the deep end there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, so the, uh, how much control does he have over social media these days? Because I mean, I just see that young mm-hmm. people are more in tune to social media than Pravda and those and, and the media. I mean, because I don't think anybody in Russia is fooled by the by the corruption in the media and and the falsehood there. At least not the Russians I've known over the years. Uh, oh, by the way, we did have one journalist from Russia who was one of the victims of Putin's poisoning in Madison, Wisconsin, back in the uh, 90s also. Uh, had put his clothes on and poisoned. He couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, so, yeah, back to your point about him cracking down the media. But anyway, back to my question. So what do you, what do you think uh, the, the basis of the divide is? Does the social media play a part in that? Yeah, I think so. Like all around the world, really, you see divisions grow and social media plays a huge role in that. But and again, the regime there is defending itself against that social media, that openness, because that's, you know, back in the old days, they'd have the zombies dot, you know, where they, you know, typewriters were illegal and you had to, you know, sneak stuff in, uh, (laughs) you know, written on a, you know, little tiny piece of paper. Oh, oh, Stephanie, typewriters. It's kind of like a former computer keyboard thing. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. We remember typewriters, don't we? But, you know, these days uh, it's so much, so much easier to get all the information if you can get to the internet. So they're banning stuff, you know, Instagram mm-hmm. was banned. Um, Facebook, they're like suing them for treason or something. Uh, they're, they're taking a variety of actions against the social media companies mm. to try to keep them out and mm. keep them from spreading true information to the people. But there are various ways around that. Mm. Uh, you know, folks folks can use you know, different types of browsers or different types mm. of you know private networks and things mm. to get around those restrictions and then go get the information that they want. And to the extent that our government can promote that you know, and get that information to them, I think it'll have a very positive effect. Uh, yeah. Amen. Well, we got three and a half minutes, guys. Who's got another question for Jim? One last question. <laughs> yeah. What What's go your best it. prediction? Yeah. Um, uh, where does this go? Where does this, does this go? And, uh, and, and secondly, uh, what's your take on China in the midst of all this uh, deflection here? What, what what's your take on China process? Sorry. Go ahead. Okay, in three minutes. Well, one, I think China will be emboldened by all this. Paradoxically, yeah. I, I think that um, you know people in Taiwan should really be looking at this, and that it's up to our government. And we have sent some signals to China saying, "Don't think that this is an excuse for you to go invade Taiwan. <laughs> you know, go you know clean that up because we're going to defend them." Um, we'll see whether that message gets across because <laughs> last year the president said we're going to defend Taiwan and then his staff like walked those comments back. Right. So, <laughs> you know, mixed signals like that, it's yeah. not good. That doesn't help deterrence. Yeah. And with respect to Ukraine, I think the Ukrainians are going to find a way to negotiate out of this. I really do. Because, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, just having Russian troops leave is the best thing for that country. Yeah. I mean, they'll probably defeat them in the long run, just like bleed them out, like in a guerrilla war. 
but it would be much better for everybody if the Russians would just leave. And if the Ukrainians have to give up a small piece of their country to get that done, a piece that's already been lost, uh, if they have to promise not to join NATO, you know, and you can always figure out other ways to defend your country than NATO, just make bilateral deals. If that's what they have to do to get the Russians to leave, then I think that's what they will do. And I think they should do it. Interesting. Interesting. Jim, thank, we we look forward to each time for you being with us and uh, we pray for you. You're in our prayers. And I know you've been teaching and writing and all kinds of good things. And uh, how do people get your books? Can you give an address out for everybody? Oh, sure. Well, they're on Amazon. Uh, and I got to tell you about my new job. I was recently made the um, academic dean of the Institute of World Politics. Uh, which is at iwp.edu. It's a graduate school of international relations in Washington, D.C. It is a unique institution in this country. There's no other school like it. Uh, The founder, John Lanchowski, uh, was on Reagan's National Security Council and, you know, fully read into uh, the Ronald Reagan strategy for ending the Cold War. And uh, just a fantastic school, I'm really honored to be there as the dean of that school. And anybody out there who wants to get a graduate degree in international relations or just to read all the good stuff our faculty is publishing, then um, check it out, iwp.edu. IWP, that's great. Well, we look forward to that. I'm going to get back to you and get some information on that, and I'll share it with our folks. And Ladies and gentlemen, we ran out of time. The time buzzer just went off, which means we win a prize or we lose. So <laughs> that time's up. Thanks for tuning in tonight to Raising Expectations. Always remember to pray for Jim and his family. He's a great man of faith, knowledgeable, and he's helping a lot of people to learn things that are right. Jim, thank you, brother. So glad to have you with us tonight, okay? And we'll see everybody next week, same time, same station. Follow up during the week and uh, look us up and, and follow this program and hear from Jim all during the week, all the way Monday through Friday on bbsradio.com, Raising Expectations. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Jim. We'll see you later. Good night, Thank folks. You. My pleasure. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Friends, thanks for joining us on this week's program of Raising Expectations. We profoundly hope you found it engaging and at times humorous, but most of all, uplifting, so that we may, with you, one topic at a time each week, become more encouraged to move forward to an exciting future in, as we always say, this thing called life in America today. So let not your hearts be troubled, your family, finances, faith, freedom. It can be a great future as we talk, listen, respect, and pull together. Please let me hear from you. You can reach me at 972-922-8556. That's 972-922-8556. Or Joe Schofield on Facebook or LinkedIn. It'd be a pleasure to know you, and we hope you'll listen in again next week on the BBS Radio Network.